Operational excellence is everything. Cash flow and velocity are the deciding factors on a firm's ability to grow. But to get there, you have to have a strong foundation. Rather than trying to make like your marketing your competitive advantage, which I think is very, very important, I would argue that the law firm of the future has a level of operational excellence that becomes a differentiator. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. Michael Mogul doesn't do things halfway. The owner of Crisp is on a mission to help 1,000 law firms grow their revenue by $1 million each, and he is the man for the job. Crisp has gone from $500 to $40 million plus in under nine years. The company has evolved, adding marketing and coaching to his initial offering of branded video production. Today, we dig into creating transformative experiences through event marketing, why operations are the foundation of any successful business, and how to track and hack human behavior. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Michael is one of the most motivated people in the game. I want to know where he gets his fire. Here's Michael Mogul, founder and CEO at Crisp. I certainly don't get it from any like motivational videos. I'll put it that way. It's not like some external motivator or anything like that. I will tell you, for me, it probably comes from a reflection and really just a a sense of gratitude to my upbringing. Like, as you know, first-generation immigrant, my family and I came over. They didn't have much money. They basically were making the, you know, I don't even like to say sacrifice anymore. I, I treat it more as like an investment, like immigrants invest in their children. So the ROI doesn't come from like the work that the parents do. It's really from the work that their children do. So, you know, just having the opportunity to even start a business and to do the things that you're able to do in America. I mean, that for me is one, I feel like, a debt there. And outside of that, it's also, it's like, once you start having some, you know, small wins that starts to build momentum. And I find that like either success or achievement or whatever it is, is, is contagious, right? It's like you, when you have a win, you enjoy it. And you're like, man, I want some more of this. So then you set a bigger target and then that comes with its challenges. And, you know, you have to grow obviously and expand capabilities to achieve it. But then once you do that, you're like, okay, this, this is feeling pretty good. I I like this, you know, kind of going down that route. So it's like success is contagious. Mediocrity is contagious as well, because it could go just as easily the other way. Chris, I read something the other day that the greatest, I'll probably butcher this a little bit, but like the greatest motivator that human beings have, like by far, is to avoid discomfort. We are naturally inclined that I don't care if you're the most driven person on this earth. When the alarm goes off early in the morning, the natural inclination is to hit snooze. Or when you're Mm. sitting on the couch and you're watching Netflix, it's like the natural inclination is not, I'm going to go run a marathon or I'm going to go exercise. It's like literally what do I have to do to not move, like to not do anything, right? Let's say you've got something that you need to take care of that day, a difficult conversation or a challenging task or, or whatever it is. I mean, think about like just human intrinsic drivers. It's like, how do I avoid doing that? Is there a way that I can avoid it? And it actually takes a tremendous amount of energy to overcome our natural tendencies. Every time, let's say I go exercise in the morning, I don't jump out of bed like, man, I cannot wait to exercise. It's like, 
okay, let's do this, right? You're always fighting kind of like your inner self and that gravitating towards homeostasis is what I find. Even like the highest achieving people that I meet, now they've just got better at like not listening to that inner self of saying, hey, relax, take it easy, you should do less. Like they just start to ignore it, but I don't know that it ever disappears. Chris began as a video company and has transitioned over the years to be much more. Here's how that transition happened. Yeah, so it's it's been a an interesting evolution. We started as a video company, so Crisp Video, and we're creating videos for law firms that are mainly for the web and social media that are like these movie trailer story-driven videos. And then that helped firms differentiate and stand out. So they're telling their story, they're communicating their why, they're able to humanize themselves. And then we realized that if you do a really good video, most of our clients didn't know what to do with those videos or where to place them or how to really get traffic to them and really how to get the phone to ring. So that's when we got into the marketing piece, primarily primarily on social media. And then, and I actually think now in hindsight, we did this in reverse. So we, you know, if I could go back, I would have flipped it. But we realized that let's say you've got great content and you've got great marketing. When the phone rings, if the phone's not answered properly, or let's say you don't have the right people in place, or you don't have the right leaders, or you don't have the right systems, or you don't have the right, you know, let's say technology stack or whatever it is, that more calls coming in sometimes don't really solve any problem. In fact, they can actually make things worse. So I know a lot of times people will say, hey, I need new leads, I need new cases, I need new business. But for someone who's already spread to capacity and overwhelmed, I don't know that that actually solves anything for them. You know, if things are a mess in the foundation of the firm, then pouring gasoline on that is just going to really, you know, like it's going to create hell on earth for, for the firm. So that's where the coaching started. And then we've expanded that to not just the firm owners, but also to their team members. And now we've grown to almost like 500 coaching clients. It's really kind of one evolved into the next based on what that next challenge was. But to your point, I mean, going back to the original question is it's like, I don't know that, especially with the coaching, because the other two, like video and marketing, are really done for you, right? The coaching is kind of a done with you service in the sense that we can provide you with the information, we can hold you accountable, we can provide you with the support, you know, all, all of these different things, and we can help develop you and we can help develop your team. But we can't go back to your office and fire the cancer in your office, or we can't go back to your office and then, you know, put all the systems in place you need and then just leave because that that's not going to be, you know, a solution that really the sticks, right? Because you can train and develop someone, but unless you have that continuous reinforcement and you have somebody overseeing things, like let's say a practice manager, an operator or someone like that, that it does require a certain level of commitment. So we state that up front. We basically say like, number one, like if you're not fully committed to doing the work that's necessary to get you the results that you want, we're probably not a fit. But I would also argue that anybody who doesn't say that, I don't know that you can transform your practice from a struggling practice to a thriving practice by just writing a check and then going away, right? Like I just, I've never seen it. So I don't want to sell that dream. I say, you know, hey, I've got robot Chris and I've got emotional Chris. Like sometimes, you know, you need to fire this individual, but it's like the emotional side. And a lot of times from a business perspective, you need to just take the emotion out of it and make the correct decision you and your wife, and you guys are really the yin and yang, right? So you are the marketing master, the visionary, you know, sales. Jessica comes in and, and she really helps you on the upside. So you got the big vision, but you have someone that you can, that has your back to kind of implement. And I, and I love what you said. It's like, hey, we can do all this marketing, but if we overwhelm your sales team and you're just not closing sales, you know, you're not doing intake properly, there's some problems. Man, I'll tell you what, I am like a reformed individual. So in my early days, if you like reverse, rewind the clock, like five years, six years, I would tell you, look, 
marketing and sales drives everything, right? Just get really good at that and really build the brand. And don't get me wrong, those things are still important, but knowing what I know today, I've realized that like it's actually the opposite. So I used to believe that if you had, let's say, great marketing and great sales, that that would grow the business and then the, the operational side of the business, just figure out how to scale it, right? Like how to, how to service it, you know, whichever clients you bring on and how to make it all work and that the marketing and sales should lead that and then the operations you know, should come secondary to kind of fill the gap and expand that capacity. What I've realized today, like knowing what I know, and this is coming from working with hundreds of firms and in our own business, and we've scaled this almost, you know, 50 million plus in revenue. So I look at this and I, I actually realized it's the other way around, meaning that I believe that the quality of your operational infrastructure is what drives the revenue and not the marketing and sales. So like, it, I mean, it, when you think about it, like that, I would never believe that. I would think like, you got to sell, you got to bring the clients in and then that, you know, and then after that lay the groundwork. But what I've now learned is that the more operationally evolved your organization is and that the more that infrastructure is there, the more the capacity is there, the more the capabilities you need are there, that in itself will drive the revenue because it is what expands lifetime value. It is what drives the client experience. It is what drives referrals. It is literally what like operational excellence is everything. And I would say to any law firm that is listening, rather than trying to make like your marketing, your competitive advantage, which I think is very, very important. Like, don't get me wrong. I would argue that the law firm of the future has a level of operational excellence that becomes a differentiator. And then the marketing goes on top of that. On the operational side, if you get those efficiencies, you can actually, you know, get less clients and still be profitable. And you can, you can get more profit margins out of the clients that you do get. You know, again, you talked about that revolving door of referrals and how important those are. Think about it this way, right? It's like revenue is a nice number, but it's a nice vanity number, right? The same way case inventory sounds good, but it's like what really drives the lifeblood of a firm and it's really cash flow. And what impacts cash flow? And it is the ability to move a case from, you know, intake to signing the case to closing the case to collecting the money to dispersing the money, right? Like and the pace at which that is done, the velocity there is going to dictate the cash flow of the firm. So it doesn't matter like they would say the size of the case that you bring in if it's going to take 3 years, right? Say to draw that and move that to a conclusion, which I mean, again, it's, it's still great, but what happens in the interim, right? If cash flow is up and down, that you know limits the firm and their ability to hire, and you know limits the firm and the ability to uh, invest in other areas of the business and so on. So when you look at it, a lot of times, you know, if a firm comes to me and says we have cash flow problems or we have cash flow challenges, I look at that and say, is the solution to bring in more cases or is the solution to figure out, okay, how do we move these cases along faster and what's going on internally at the firm, whether it's from the paralegals, the attorneys, and so on. What is the time that it takes from the case to come in to the time that case is settled. And this is, you know, obviously different cases and different types, especially ones that go to trial, it's going to vary. But we find that in most firms, they don't even know the average time it takes, right? And then even if they do know, there's huge variability amongst the different lawyers and the paralegals and so on. Some are, are doing it in half the time or a third of the time as, as another firm. And we find that sometimes, I mean, check this out, like recently we found a firm that their solution to their cash flow problems was actually hiring additional paralegals to be able to move files forward faster to be able to collect the money on those cases. So their solution was actually hiring. Wow, that's incredible. And that's so counterintuitive to what you would normally hear. And it, this reminds me, we had a great episode with James Farron, and he was one of the first attorneys that really spoke to this on our podcast. And he talked about how they really measure velocity and how fast they can get a case to close. And just because of what you said, cash flow. You know, one of the things that Crisp does so well is event-based marketing. And it kind of slapped me in the face recently 
because you guys always, you, you've got the, the million dollar day, you had the Zoom experience where you had so many lawyers, you had the Atlanta Falcons cheerleaders on it. You do such a good job with events. What about events is so important to the Chris brand? How do they contribute to the overall marketing and impact? Yeah, four years ago, I didn't get it, right? I wouldn't have realized the impact that this would make. And I'll tell you, I think the big thing it comes down to with events and whether it's a virtual event or, you know, I strongly prefer in person. I mean, we did a huge virtual summit last year, you know, when we were all kind of in lockdown, but it really comes down to what are you trying to achieve, right? So if if we look at it and say, let's work backwards from the goal, we want our clients and the people who attend to be able to have a transformative experience and have a great outcome. And what does that mean? It means that they learn something. It means that they like will come out of this and take action. So how do you influence that, right? And it doesn't matter. I mean, whether they invest with us or whether they, you know, just, you know, take it back to their firm and do everything themselves or hire, you know, another partner, whatever it is. It's like, how do you get people to do things? And you look at one avenue and you say, all right, well, you could just present them with the information and you could say, all right, whether it's on a Zoom or in a small ballroom or something. But then we realized that the, the way that was being done led to the same people hearing the same information coming back and then nothing changed, right? Like months and years and so on would go by, but that firm never really evolved and changed. So we're like, all right, so what actually drives human behavior? And we found that one, you have to get people emotionally invested. They have to feel something. As we head into the next summit in November at Mercedes-Benz, it's like a big theme of that. When we're sitting in our meetings, we're talking about Okay, let's say the the topic of inspiration, which on first hand, you look at that and say, hey, that's cute. But look, man, I'm trying to grow my firm. I don't need to be inspired. I don't need to be motivated. I don't need those things. But then you think, all right, well, was there a time in your life that inspired you to become a lawyer? Probably, right? Like there was some event that you said, all right, that's it. I want to go to law school. I want to practice law. And had that event not happened or had those experiences not happened, you may not even have a practice today. So it's like you have to get someone in an environment where they're feeling something and then you, you can you know influence some sort of decision making or behavioral change. The other thing is, you know, community and the power of like being in a room of people who are also growth minded and entrepreneurial. That's very, very difficult to create virtually. Right. So you can still have people in like a Zoom room, but I don't know that you can create those same type of experience that you have when you're at breakfast with someone or at lunch with someone or at dinner with someone or having drinks with someone or, you know, or whatever it is. And you're sharing that type of experience. And then finally, like an accountability piece of like, how do you make sure that someone actually follows through on that commitment? So, you know, in the coaching program, we have like monthly accountability calls one-on-one, and then we're checking up. If you take those things out of the equation, there's like a great book by Alan Deutschman. It's called Change or Die. And he really kind of studied like how people change. And they found that even in their most dire circumstances, like they had a study of people that were facing like, you know, heart disease. And these are people that unless they made significant dietary and health changes in the next few years, they would not live to be there for their kids and grandkids. Think about like a more powerful motivator than that, right? Like you will not be around for your children and your grandchildren. And then you think, okay, what percentage of those people facing that type of, let's say downside, how many of them changed? And it was like less than 5%. So it's not the negative reinforcement that's driving behavior. So then they looked and said, okay, well, where do people change? And they found like organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous and they, they were finding, okay, what was leading to that behavioral change? Well, they found number one, they had sponsors, right? Which are like accountability partners. They had consistent rhythms. So they would have like meetings, right? Where they would all come together. So there was accountability, there was rhythms. They, they were starting to influence habits and behaviors and things like that. So when we looked at that and we said, okay, when it comes to an event, like we don't want people to just go 
feel motivated, come back and then resume, you know, emails and calls in their life the way it was. Like we actually want them to get back and do something, make some decision, hire somebody, fire somebody, you know, just so a year from that day, they're further ahead. And, you know, some people have called the day after our summits like D-Day or something in the legal industry, or it's like, you know, what is it? It's not like, like Red Monday or whatever, where like someone's getting fired at, at law offices all across the country because they're sitting at the event and they're like, that's it. The person that I've known has been causing me all these stress and headaches. That's it. Today's the day. Enough you know, or whatever it is. And we get emails all the time of someone saying, well, this, I finally was, was compelled to make this decision and thank you for creating that environment. So I realized that is something that, you know, we've only seen that you can do when you create that whole experience all, you know, all across the board. And if nothing else, you just want people to do something, to take some sort of action. And we find that sometimes what it takes is a Super Bowl stadium with big sound and a DJ and an open bar and like 5,000 lawyers and just this like environment for two days straight where you can take someone physically out of their law firm, like away from the firm, get on a plane, get on a, you know, get a hotel, go off site. And then over those two days, at least influence one positive decision for them. Yeah. And those experiences are everything. When I'm hearing you speak, Michael, it's only natural for me to think of like myself as a business owner. I'm thinking, you know, I have a remote company. One of the biggest challenges is like bringing together and being intentional about community and being involved. We had to implement a culture buddy, right? On top Mm -hmm. of like their mentor that comes in, just a culture buddy. And now we've even shifted for our hiring. When we hire remote, we'll try to hire from pockets. So we'll try to hire a bunch of people from Louisville and a bunch of people from here, even though they're working from home, that way they can still get together and have that time together, that community together. Yeah, whether people admit it or not, and and we're so we're like hybrid, right? So we have some days we work in the office, and other days when we work remote. And look, I will agree. I think there's certain type of work where remote all the time, you're never gonna have a problem, right? I see this with a lot of like repetitive work, really process driven work, like data, you know, analytics, that sort of stuff. But when it comes down to any like you know strategic or creative collaboration. I've seen advantages to having people together. And that's why, like, if we ever did an offsite, right, we get everybody there. Like we fly people in like that, that sort of work, because it's challenging when one person is in one location and another person somewhere on zoom, and then they're in the kitchen or someone's driving. And you know what I mean? It's like, guys, like, can we all be in one place together? I find that getting people together in a room, if nothing else, it kind of gets them out of whatever environment they were in previously, right? It it moves them into a very consistent environment where they can do great work together. And then they can go back to, you know, to, to the environment they were in previously. But that's why, I mean, we could do the event, you know, in any of our events virtually. I mean, that's, you could deliver the same content, right? Like the same presentations, the same insights and so on. It's much more cost-effective, right? Then you don't have to, rent a stadium in order to do that. So it's like, so why are we doing that? Right? Like, why are we going down, you know, this, you know, this route that involves so much more energy and effort. And I I think it's from the example that I don't know that people want to go to Disney world virtually. I don't think they want to take their families, you know, to Disney virtually. There's something to be said about the experience that is created, the memories that are made, the partnerships that are developed and so on that you can only do in a certain type of environment. The first game-changing summits were simply meant to bring existing clients together. But as it has grown, Michael explains why events are one of the most difficult and rewarding things you can do in marketing. 
the level of commitment that you have to get from somebody, right? So it's one thing to get them to a webinar, right? Fairly low level of commitment, right? They can do that remotely. And then also if they, you know, they can register and if they don't attend, maybe you'll send it to them later on demand. But for an event, you have to take the owner of a business, like in our case, a law firm, physically out of their office for several days. They've got to buy a flight. They've got to buy a hotel room. They've got to like, you know, basically transplant themselves to Atlanta for multiple days. And this person's running the law firm. So like they have to actually leave their firm and there has to be enough of a compelling reason in order for them to do that and spend their time in that way. And then you multiply that and say, well, how do we get 5,000 plus law firm owners to do that? And it is extremely, extremely, extremely challenging. Like I I just will tell you, it is not for the faint of heart, but you learn so much in, in doing so of like what it takes because at that size and at that volume, a lot of the people were reaching out to at first, they've never been to the event. They don't even know who we are. So you've got to take someone who doesn't know you to then know you, to then be interested, to then be so interested that they're going to make, you know, it's not just the investment on a ticket, it's an investment on a flight and a hotel and all, all this other stuff that's involved. And then say, I will physically relocate myself for multiple days to come to Atlanta because I think the value proposition is that strong. That is not easy to do. You're right. And, and attorneys are so busy and their hourly rate is much higher than most other individuals. So there has to be that value exchange. There has to be more value to the thing that they're, they're doing. And so let's talk about the the upcoming Game Changer Summit. There's so much going on in this event. Where it's located, that itself is like a talk trigger. You know, give me the basics, the TLDR type of overview of this event. Yeah. So I will say, first and foremost, this event will never happen again in the way that we're doing it this time. This is a one-time thing. I'm not saying this in a marketing way. I'm like, I'm telling you just truthfully and transparently, it does not make economic sense to do events of this scale in a stadium. Like we, what we're finding is that it's exciting to the team because we're, we're challenging ourselves, but there's a sweet spot I find for events. It's probably around like, you know, 2000 people, right? 2,500 where that starts to make more economic sense. I think there's three things that people look for when they're attending a legal conference. Number one is, okay, what am I going to learn, right? Am I going to come back with like new actionable insights? And is it going to make me more dangerous, right? As a business leader, as an operator, as an attorney or whatever it is, I want to be able to learn something that perhaps I wouldn't learn somewhere else. So there's like the content and the speakers. Then there's, you know, the second component is really the networking aspect. Am I going to be able to meet people and build relationships and partnerships with people that perhaps I otherwise would not have met that could become great referral partners from all over the country. And that can help me grow my, you know, my business dramatically. And then the third one, which, you know, much to my, I would say disappointment, this is just the truth, right? Because we, we, we put so much energy into like great content content and great speakers and like putting the right people in the room. But I think the third one actually is the one that attracts them the most. And and that is, am I going to have a great time? And that is like, okay, is there going to be a party? Is there going to be an open bar? What am I going to do in those days? Like, am I going to just have a great time? And we have all three components, but when we weight them, I'm finding that I think it's like, have a great time, then the networking, and then the content. And, and all three are important, but it's just interesting to see how people respond. So like, that's why, you know, we've got a private concert with Boys to Men, and then we will have a VIP party at, you know, at, at our headquarters on the first night. And, you know, and there's, there's things like that that are going on. Then this is our fifth event. We hope that we're learning things with each one. One. And this is, of course, like the biggest one. And like, you know, the speakers are like, you know, as, as top tier as you can get. And I know, depending on where this comes out, we got a few more that we're announcing that we're very, very excited about. But I'll tell you, like, 
my thought going in is how do we just make this the best event possible? And what that's leading to, and this is going to sound super counterintuitive, we take a loss on every single ticket. Like in order to do the event, how we want to do the event at the caliber with the certain speakers at the level of production to include food and meals and everything for everyone and like really make it a great experience, we take a loss up front. And it's crazy when you think about it, you're like, why would anybody do that? And the idea is like, and this is just how I've, you know, rationalized this because we also haven't done sponsors. We don't like cover costs on things like by having a Wi-Fi sponsor or a drink sponsor or like this speaker is brought to you by, you know, whatever, Salesforce or something. We don't do that. So it's like, so why would it make sense to lose money on every single person coming in? And what we have seen is that number one, I mean, they're originally intended as like client engagement events, but two, there are the trailing indicators where maybe we don't win at the event in terms of like, you know, recouping all the revenue there. But what happens in the trailing aspect of that in six months, a year, and so on, that's really how we built our brand. I mean, the reason we even started doing these conferences is we realized like, how do we like scale our impact? And the way to do that was like, how do we get more people to know about us? And how do we really, really amplify that? And, you know, at a conference or or event was a way to do that. But then it's like, how do we make this the best event possible? And like, there was not a shortage of events in the legal industry. Like there was not a person that was going, you know, what I could really use is another legal conference. Like, I don't think there's a single human being who had ever said that. But at the time, and this was back in 2018, we saw a gap in a focus on the business of law and focusing on leadership and culture and marketing and people and all these different things, because most legal conferences were really trial conferences, focusing on trial skills. And then as more business of law conferences started popping up, we found that it was either the same speakers on the same circuit, right? You could hear them anywhere else. Or we were looking at it and saying, yeah, these events are all good, but why aren't the people coming out of this just crushing it? You know, what's going on here? Like, because they're getting information, they're good information consumers, but they're not being transformed. So that's where all the production came to be. That's where all the crazy stuff came to be. It's like, you got to make it worth people's while. That, that's my view. One of the things that I've always wondered, and you kind of alluded to it, is like, you hear these people saying how you generate wealth and revenue and you always hear OPM, other people's money, right? And sponsorship, you really owned it because it's the brand. You want to build the brand and and like you're doing this, you're taking this a loss, but in the future to build this iconic brand in the legal space, which you have, you know, you've done with the Tesla giveaways, you've done with each event and you've, you've always went bigger. So is that why you avoided kind of the sponsorships and things like that? Yeah, well, you know, so I didn't know anything about this space. And and I would say that our director of events is partially to blame because she came in with tremendous amount of experience. And then early on, I was like, you know, because every other event I saw that they were doing uh, exhibit halls and they were doing sponsorships and so on. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We should do that because I realized that the reason they were doing that was because they were trying to make the money on the tickets and then the sponsorships, right? Like that's how the money from the event was being generated. And what our events director shared with me is that if you go down that path, there's going to be compromise. There's going to be trade-offs in terms of the quality of the event. It becomes less about your audience and then more about, let's say, sponsors and exhibitors, and it starts to look like NASCAR and so on. And, and the question was, can you really deliver the best experience when you have to make those trade-offs? And we realized, no. So it's tough, man. I'd love to take sponsorship dollars. Like I would love it. I would love if somebody sponsored the Wi-Fi or something like that, man. It would, love, it would help offset the costs. But then I think for an attendee, 
Is that going to deliver the best experience if they, and I say this with the utmost respect, because I think there's a lot of great conferences out there in the legal industry, but as an attendee, is it the best experience to walk through an exhibit hall of a thousand vendors on your way to an event? Is it the best experience where every time something is being said, there's like a logo or a sponsor attached to it and like, you know, and if our focus, if we say, look, experience is going to be number one and we're putting our attendees first, you know, what are the decisions we have to make to ensure that that's true? So look, man, it's tough. I, I will tell you, it is it is a tough model. I get a lot of criticism for it. I get a lot of people that just think that, you know, we're shutting them out in some way or something. And, and look, man, I would love to take their money. I would love to take their sponsor dollars, like 100%. But I wouldn't do it at the expense of compromising the experience of the event. And maybe, you know, some of us have just gotten so used to, well, that's just how an event is. There's going to be sponsors everywhere. There's going to be exhibitors everywhere. It's like that, that's this, the notion of it. I would say then come to one of our events and see how different it is when all that stuff isn't there. Right. And by the way, for the record, vendors and industry are all welcome at our event. We just aren't, you know, focusing on how do we, you know, do exhibit halls and, and those sort of things. You touched on this earlier, and I just kind of want to unpack your brain a little bit and, and see also what, you know, uh, the summit has to offer in these areas. So you said content, you said community, and you said fun. So on the content side of the speakers that have been announced and kind of the material you're going to cover, like who are some of the speakers? And then I want you to hit kind of, you know, the community side and then the fun side, like, you know, yeah. what's going on with the event on each of those those pillars? So number one, in terms of content, and this time around, I will say, this has been, it, of all the events previously, this has been the most difficult when it came to booking speakers because traditionally, if you look at past events or let's say you want to book a speaker that you know is through a speaker bureau, right? Like a, a speaker that is that makes their money speaking. That's pretty easy. You go to the bureau, you pay their rate, and then you get, you know, and I say this with respect, like John Maxwell or whoever, right? Who's a phenomenal leadership speaker. But, you know, going into this event, we're like, well, we want to have the type of speakers that you really would not get to experience anywhere else or at any other event within the legal industry. We wanted it to have a very unique value proposition. So we approached people that, you know, all the speakers that we have, and especially the ones we're about to announce, they all said no before they said yes. Like, so these aren't people that are on speaking tours. They, they aren't the type of people who need the money from speaking. It's like, they, you know what I mean? They don't care. Like they're already doing really well. So, you know, the only way to get them is to make a really compelling case as to why they should come and speak at the event. So when they all told me, no, I was writing handwritten letters and, and you know, and, and shooting videos and really trying to, you know, to really ask them like, hey, I think this would really be worth your time. This would help inspire and really help a lot of people that we finally were able to get them. So for example, like Cy Wakeman, you know, she was probably our highest rated speaker from the last event. So we obviously brought her back. She's a phenomenal leadership, culture, drama, like expert, right? Of like how to eliminate workplace drama. Also then David Goggins, Dave is not doing a whole lot of speaking, but you know, just incredible. Like author of like, Can't Hurt Me, retired Navy SEAL. And his brand has grown tremendously over the years. I mean, he's, he'll have another book coming out at the end of this year. Also, you know, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. So we're going to talk about like creating an investable law firm. And as someone who's investing in businesses, that's going to be a great person to learn from. I don't want to like give away because in my mind, I'm like, okay, these two, but I don't think we've announced them yet. There are quite a few more that we'll have coming up. I mean, Laura Wasser's another one. I mean, she's like an elite divorce attorney. She's representing like, uh, she's represented like Johnny Depp and, you know, Christina Aguilera and Ben Affleck and so on. And, and really talking about like, everybody wants the most discerning, you know, clients and, and the highest caliber clients. And she's literally doing that. So it's like, you know, being able to learn from somebody like that. I'm coming back. I'll be a speaker. My wife will be a speaker. We have the next few speakers. I think the people will see, they're going to be like, 
okay, uh, now I understand like what this is about. This dude is nuts. Like you said, I was crazy, but when, when you hear like who it is and, and Chris, I'll like text you, you know, s- separately. So you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be able to tell me for sure if this is a good or bad idea. So the lineup itself, and then of course, all of our law firm speakers, right? There are lawyers at this event after all, right? So there's a lot of legal speakers, but what we're trying to be very mindful is that we're trying to provide speakers that will offer unique perspective and unique insights that they're not going to hear everywhere else, right? Because if you can hear it somewhere else, then, you know, why would you want to go to this event? We want it to be unique and stand out. And in the legal industry, as I'm sure you'll agree, you know, you look at the lineups at a lot of these events and it's like the same people every single time. Like, look, and I say this again, I say this with respect, but I'm trying to physically move someone from their office in another state to Atlanta spend a couple of days with us that I want there to be something of unique value for them. So that's just kind of a taste of like what some of the speakers are like. Then when we talk about the actual networking and relationships, there is something for everyone. When you have a room full of 5,000 law firm owners, and I don't mean like 5,000 attendees, I mean like 5,000 individual law firms, right? Because when we look at it as, you know, you can look at a lot of conferences and they'll say we have, I don't know, a thousand people. But then, you know, when you break out a third of that, it's like vendors and sponsors. And then another third of that is like, you know, staff from, you know, from a certain firm. And then, you know, you you really find that of the thousand, it's really only 300 individual law firms, right? So that kind of limits the amount of networking you're able to do. So whether you're a firm that's, you know, under 500,000 in revenue or over a hundred million in revenue, we're going to have firms now from every state in the US, every practice area, every market area at all different revenue levels. And I'll tell you, let's say you get nothing from the speakers and the content. Let's say you don't care about the parties and let's say you don't care about the fun, right? Because I'm one of these people, I'm not about the fun. If nothing else, you know, you will meet somebody at that event that's going to send you business, that's going to form a new relationship, a new referral partnership, and you put them all in one room together and connect them. That's going to create, you know, something pretty dynamic. And then, you know, to the final point, number three is the fun and is the experience. I mean, when you walk in, the event's going to be on the field of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So this is a Super Bowl stadium. They played the Super Bowl here. The Rolling Stones played here. That is a unique experience. So everyone is going to be on the field. Okay, like we we figured that would be really unique. This football stadium for two days straight, all foods included, all drinks included. Night one, we're doing a a VIP party at our at our headquarters. And and this year we're going to do it a little bit different in the sense that we're going to have a few surprise guests roll in. So celebs, A-listers, that sort of thing. Right. Just like I'm calling on any favor that I have for this event to make that unique. And then we're closing out the event with a private concert from Boys to Men. So at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, look, if nothing else, I can promise you you will have a great time, right? You will have a great time. You will meet great people. And I actually believe strongly that you're going to learn a lot of things too, but we want something for everyone, depending on whatever their goals are. Michael, this event is just going to crush. So, you know, just one final question here. When is the event? What do they need to do to go book and and make the uh, decision to travel to, to the event? Yes. So the event is November 2nd and 3rd. It's in Atlanta, Georgia, To register for the event, just go to crispsummit.com, like C-R-I-S-P summit.com. Get your tickets there. I will tell you there's different ticket types. Chris, if it's possible to just take a moment to really kind of outline like which is for which person. So first of all, there's not a bad seat in the house, right? We're on the field of Mercedes-Benz. So anywhere you sit, you're going to have a great view of all the speakers of all the content and, and the boys to men like private concerts. So I would say that there's not a bad seat. And you're not going to have any problems seeing anything. Now, 
if your goal is depending on like, if you want to build relationships and partnerships and you want to be able to connect with people, like perhaps that you would not be able to outside of this event and you want to sit with some killers, I think that is a reason to sit closer. So whether it's a VIP ticket or a diamond ticket, if those are still available, I would just say, consider who you want to be sitting next to for two days straight. Meaning that if you don't care and you're there for the content, sit anywhere you like. If you're there to build relationships, I recommend sitting closer because we find that, you know, the closer you get, you know, in, in the event and where you're sitting is a different type of firm, right? So the ones sitting up front, these are your eight and nine figure firms, right? The ones in VIP are generally your seven figure firms. And the ones in general admission is kind of a mix of, of all of them. So just be mindful of that, of what your goals are out of the event. If it's content, sit anywhere. If it's relationships and partnerships, my personal recommendation is, is sit closer if you want to sit with some killers. And then I can't believe we forgot to share this, but the content of this event is all about building this law firm of the future and building this investable law firm. So it is focusing on leadership and people and culture and how to attract the best people and how to differentiate your firm and how to create the type of practice that is not solely dependent on you for its growth and really how to how to dominate with the upcoming changes in the legal landscape. It is not an event to learn trial skills, to learn trial strategy. There's a lot of great events that already exist for that. So I would encourage you to attend those if that's your goal. This is an event on how to make money and take care of your people and take care of your family and make an impact in your community. When leveraging event marketing to solidify your brand, focus on attendee experience above all else. Invest in world-class content, community building, and a whole lot of fun, and make a life-changing event. For a discounted ticket, go to crispsummit.com and enter rankings for 25% off of your ticket and free drinks at the open bar. Again, that's crispsummit.com and enter rankings for 25% off your ticket and free drinks at the open bar. I'd like to thank Michael Mogul from Crisp for sharing his story with us, and I hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.